This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 1984, there was an unknown entity tormenting various Japanese confectionery companies. Police failed to capture whoever committed this crime spree, and citizens feared they would strike again. Today, we're going to outline everything we know about the enigma that called themselves the monster with 21 faces. This is Red Web. Welcome back to another Mystery Monday. I'm Trevor Collins with me, as always, is Alfredo Diaz. Fredo, we have a, a really, really interesting mystery today. I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, I mean, you said the word entity. I went, huh? What? Oh, huh? What are we getting into here? Like, what's going on? So we know, that, well, so far all we know, okay? It's an unsolved mystery. It's, it's the biggest mystery that I'm aware of, at least, uh, in Japanese history. And... This enigma, this group, this person, this, we don't know, this entity, simply called themselves the monster with 21 faces. Now, when I look at this case, there's so many things from pop culture I can pull on. It feels so much like Death Note meets the Zodiac Killer meets a little bit of Willy Wonka. It's, it's very uh, fascinating. Weird that we're throwing in Willy Wonka. Very interesting. I'm going to mm. I want to hear how that plays out. Uh, I will say this. You're saying Death Note. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's exciting. It's a great anime. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild, man. I it, it, I can't help but think that there's some notes that maybe inspired some of the writing. Obviously, that that anime goes a little bit in a different direction than what this case does, but there's definitely some notes in there that uh, make this very fascinating. Oh, before we start, I do want to say because we've been harping on this, but because I'm excited about it, next week. Next week, Task oh. Force merchandise is on its way. Oh, is it really a week yeah. away now? It's next uh, next Tuesday, April 6th. You can go to store.roosterteeth.com. Get up in there. We also have a t-shirt and a mug right there uh, already. A lot of people have been sporting that and sending us images on Twitter, uh, letting us know at Red Web Pod. Just more shameless plugs. But yeah, I'm stewed. I, I, I know we talked about this a few times in the episodes leading up to this, but I am truly excited about this merch. The, the team made some really sleek, modern-looking stuff. I don't know. Like I said it before, and I'll say it again. Literally a random thing that we said and then just <laughs> yeah, went and, and on, a, you know, on a rant about. And then everyone was just like, hell yeah, Task Force. And so yeah. it's just still so crazy and stupid to me that now yeah. like it's now a thing and everyone wants to get involved and now there's merch around it like it's, it's yeah pretty cool it's pretty so cool thank, yeah thank you all for like making that a thing and if you want to join the task force next tuesday april 6 it's on you i want to i want to see represent if you got if you get anything once it gets in the mail just send it to us send us those photos don't send us your merch that'd be silly send us those photos let us know you're in the force all right but anyway without further ado why don't we dive into the first company, we're going to talk about Glico and talk about how that this all kicks off, and then we'll go through the rest of the timeline with regards to this monster. So on March 18th of 1984, around 9 p.m., two masked and armed intruders entered the home of Katsuhisa Izaki in Osaka, Japan. Izaki was the son of the founder of Izaki Glico and was the company's president as of 1982. So two years prior to that, they were the president. This company was better known as Glico. 
and the company sells snacks and confectionaries, and you might know them as the company that makes Pocky, because that's the uh, their best-selling product. Yeah. They're most well-known. Yeah. It's a delicious snack. Okay. It's a great snack, not very filling, which is perfect for a company, because then you just end up downing, like a dangerous amount of Pocky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that sweet spot, right? Where it's like, oh, it's delicious, but then you're just not going to get full off of it, so you buy a ton of mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Now, going back to this intrusion here, despite the home's security systems, the intruders were able to enter Izaki's home very quietly. In order to get into this house, they had actually broken into Izaki's mother's home, stolen a spare key that Izaki had given her, and then went to his house to break in. I guess in that way, it's not necessarily breaking in, but they silently entered in that way. Now, Izaki was taking a bath with one of his children. While that was happening, his wife, Mikieko, and uh, one of their older children, their, their daughter, they were bound up by the intruders. Now, after hearing this, Azaki stayed very quiet in the bathroom, gathered the other two children, and tried to stay hidden and out of sight. But the intruders eventually found them, busted into the bathroom, and they actually took Polaroid photos of Azaki naked, then dressed him in an overcoat and ski hat before finally handcuffing and abducting him from his home. That's terrifying. That's extraordinarily terrifying. Oh, man. And like, okay. So like a little personal thing, like I've, you know, lived in apartments uh -huh. uh, for a good chunk of like the last probably like seven years of my life. And I've always been on like upper floors. Yeah. But now I'm like on the first floor because I was like, I want a first floor apartment because I want to have a dog and then have a yard. Right. So I, I have that. But man, the number of times I'm just like, uh, I just, I'm just a little bit more like nervous about my living situation just because I'm on the first floor and you never you know what I mean like your points of entry go up dramatically certainly yeah, it's so easy to just like you know do this and that granted like you know what I mean like I'm making sure I'm protecting my house with weapons and and uh you know guns and whatnot because I don't play around like that but sure. uh, it's still terrifying right and it's what's scary about this too and I don't think I need to spell it out I think we can all pretty much figure it out but the fact that the key was securely with another family member and whoever these people are managed to stealthily infiltrate someone's private home okay with a security system or otherwise they they felt they were entirely safe they're in their evening doing their routine on the way to bed with their children no less and then this whole thing goes down and off into the night the father's taken it's wild man uh, that, that, that's what that's just the beginning of this whole case though i yeah so only the father was taken? Yes. So the family, the rest of them were bound up and kind of just left in the home. They weren't hurt in any other way that I'm aware of. They were just bound up. I mean, may maybe it's just me. Um, you know what I mean? If I'm the father in that situation, I will take some, you know what I mean? Some kind of like peace of mind knowing. Take me, not them, right? Yeah, me, not yeah. them. You know, obviously you're being pulled away and you're not quite sure like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's just me. It's just like, hey, take me, not them. Right. Do whatever you need to do with me. Uh, leave them alone. Leave them out of it. Right. Don't take the little pup. I know you got a little pup. Leave Gabu out of this. Leave little Gabu out. Listen, if anybody comes in after Gabu, I'm I'm diving in there. <laughs> but, but truly, yeah, no, it, there is some peace of mind knowing that your family, I mean, listen, they have access, they, but they were already in there. They had already like, sure, they bound them up or whatever but yeah there is at least some peace of mind knowing that they weren't also abducted it's cold comfort 
But, you know, given the circumstances, I feel like things could have been much worse, right? Yeah, yeah. But the family was, in fact, able to escape the bindings after a little bit of time, and they called the police. And at that same night, okay, remember, this all went down around 9 p.m., so now it's about 1.15 a.m. in the morning, the Glico Director of Human Resources, Fuji Hiratake, received a call in their home. Okay, now this is their private residence. The caller told Hiratake to go to a specific telephone booth. At the booth, there would be a ransom note with this to say, quote, I am holding a hostage. Prepare 1 billion yen in cash and 100 kilograms of gold, end quote. They asked Hirotake to leave the money in a car in front of his house, but he decided not to comply. At this point, the police quickly called for a media blackout, but the word had already spread and panic started to spread very quickly throughout this part of Japan. So now the next day, March 19th, there was a phone call with a recording of Azaki, the one who was kidnapped, giving instructions for Glico to deliver the ransom to a restaurant. Police showed up at that restaurant with Glico employees, but received no further instructions. Two days after that, on March 21st, around 2 p.m., Azaki called the police because he was able to escape from his captors. He revealed that he was kept in an abandoned warehouse in Ibaraki, Osaka. For unknown reasons, the previous evening, the captors allowed him to get dressed, replace the handcuffs with rope, and then left Izaki without supervision. He recalled that his captors did not tie the ropes very tightly, and thus he was able to escape his confines the next day, and that's how he escaped and called the police. Now, Izaki seemed shaken up by the experience and didn't want to talk too much about it to the media, which is interesting. They basically just said, hey, this is where I was, this is how I was kept and uh, no real other information was given, which is unfortunate because as you'll find, this would have been the opportune moment to really learn about who these intruders were and what this entity or group or whoever, what they were kind of after. Now, while Izaki was ultimately freed, this is only the beginning of what his captors were up to. They were not done yet with their plans. Oh, so... I just, I never understand just like the people that do the kidnappings mm -hmm. and then just kind of go, okay, meet at this location and uh, bring the money or something like that. Like, how do you, yeah. how do you get away? Right. You know, you, you'd think somebody would be staking out the place, like leave the money in X, Y, and Z. You know, the police are going to be all over that thing. Yeah. That's, that's exactly my thought. Like the police are going to be all over it where are you gonna go they're gonna follow you like mm -hmm. once that handoff is that happens what protects you right and i i agree with you i've never understood like i get it if you're really diving into the world of criminal action and that's where you you think that that's your last resort you need to break the law you need to ask for this that whatever perhaps you're not in the clearest mindset but also maybe you've got nothing else to lose and so you're just in a corner and so you're just asking for your things and you hope you can get away i i don't know you know when someone says give me a, a fully fueled helicopter and uh, with a bunch of money in it like come on you, you, where are you going pal it yeah. ain't happening right but what's interesting here is now we've heard about a ransom twice for this individual who has escaped so now they have no leverage for this ransom the first one was straight up denied by the way and it doesn't seem like they reacted in any way, positively or negatively. And then they asked again for the ransom at a restaurant pickup. 
that actually went down. They brought the money, they brought employees, whatever, like, hey, here's the money. Where are you at? No show, no handover. That just kind of disappeared. Again, with no real reaction, at least that we know of so far. So there's going to be a trend here that I want to outline. Of them just, oh man, God, is the trend, um, hey, ransom at this location and then no one showing up? Kind of, yeah. It, it, and some of them are a little bit more intriguing than that, but but long and short, there's this very mysterious like cat and mouse game going on. And, and it's that's what kind of gives me some of those Death Note kind of vibes where there's definitely some gamification going on. And I, again, and I'll dive more into this, but it's 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 really got me scratching my head. But let's let's get back to so so Izaki is now shaken up, but he's escaped. It is now April, so it's about a week or maybe a little more later, April 2nd. A letter was sent to Izaki's home. It says, quote, How dare you break our promise and run away from us? I'm giving you one more chance. In that letter, again, they asked for 10 million yen for each person in his family. So that would be 60 million yen total because of the two parents, the three kids, and the mother of Izaki, right? Uh, just... How dare you, like, run away from us? Yeah, you. They they refer to a promise. How dare you break our promise, <laughs> right? Like we, have, I mean, is there some sort of agreement? Because that kind of lends its hand to why you didn't really say anything. Yeah, right. I mean, he's he's like, this is where I was. I'm shaken up. They left me unsupervised, and that's all he's really saying. He's not yeah. saying anything else. So, what is this promise? You're right. That's a good thing to to dive into. Yeah, I mean gut instinct tells me it's like oh it's you know it's a bad promise mm -hmm. um, this person's promising i don't know maybe corporate secrets or something like that in return um but at the same time it could be like a promise of don't run away right and you know we won't hurt your family we won't go after anyone else yeah that's where my mind goes like we're gonna allow you to get dressed we're gonna change those hard metal handcuffs to some lightly tied or lo more loosely tied rope a little bit more comfort here. We're playing ball with you, but we're going to leave you alone, okay? And because we played ball with you, promise that you're not going to leave. Promise you're not going to try to do anything. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. But silly, silly mistake. Man got out, good on him, but thus begins the rest of this adventure here. So now on April 10th, a fire started in the prototype section of Glico headquarters. 20 minutes after this, three cars at the Glico Nutrition headquarters parked in the parking lot outside also burst into flames. So these events all seem correlated, right? To have sudden fires all over the place at Glico locations. This caused people to kind of think, okay, there is some arson going on. All of these fires were caused by gasoline. This is whoever is behind the kidnapping. Someone is now going after the companies in particular. I mean Snack company? Snack company. <laughs> Come at, maybe maybe they want their ransom. They're like, I want 100 billion yen or I'll take equivalent in Pocky. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we've got a, a snack. We, we got a sweet just, tooth over here. <laughs> I, I mean, you got to think that there's more lucrative businesses. I mean, not to say that that business isn't su successful. Um, sure. You know, it's I've known Pocky for a very, very long time. But is that what you go after? I don't know. Oh. Maybe maybe there's a reason why. Maybe the company did something, or or there's something else at play here that we should dive into. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, these Who's kidnappers don't seem the brightest, so I could see them. <laughs> I don't know, man. Why they my mind went here? It's like, hey, but it's a snack company. They're not going to be as like 
technologically advanced or have as much like security as like mm-hmm. uh, a law firm or you know what I mean like a, a big huge tech corporation or pharmaceutical company. Yeah. I mean there's there's more loose ends and we're kind of on the cusp here. There's more loose ends with a with a food company, right? Where liability is spread through many stores. So there's entry points, there's access for leverage for this company, for this entity to go after this company. And maybe that's why, maybe that it's just easier that way. Or maybe they aren't as smart. I don't know. On one hand, they seem stealthy AF. They're sneaking into this guy's house after breaking into the mother's house and finding the key, no less. Like, I don't know. Maybe also, I hope they checked on the mom. Like, what's she up to? She okay? Yeah. But then on the other hand, they kind of just like, let's get this guy back in his regular clothes, some loose rope, and uh, just hope he doesn't run away, you know? I I don't know. So far, I can see it both ways. Their intelligence is yet to be determined. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's throwing me off a bit. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, this seems not um not very well planned, and thought out. I I don't know. Like, how do you let someone get away? Yeah, I mean, unless these were hired folk, you know, and and there's like a coordinator behind the scenes, and these were just goons, you know. Yeah, and someone paid someone paid cheap, you know. Yeah, right. They went to, they went to the <laughs> bottom the of discount. the barrel. They got the discount goons, you know. Is that what they're called, in, by the way, in Batman? The henchmen? Yeah, I mean, that's a nicer way of saying it, you know what I'm saying? I, well, I don't, I don't want to insult these criminals. I, I feel like that's why, you know, you call them henchmen. You, you know, goons might be a little too harsh, but you call them henchmen, because at least you're, you're trying to say that you know, they're hench and they're badass. Uh, yeah. But you know the hierarchy. It's, yeah. You know, they're not a mastermind. But anyway... We have these fires now at the Glico headquarters, as well as the Glico Nutrition headquarters. Very odd. Definitely seem correlated because they're all within 20 minutes of each other. A couple days later, April 16th, a letter and a bottle of hydrochloric acid were found inside a Glico building. Police decided to follow through with the ransom, but again, no one came to collect. I hope, and a lot of questions don't get answered on this show, Mm -hmm. but I really hope there's some kind of answer as to why these people are terrorizing a snack company. Coming for those snacks, man. It's just so random to me. It's so random. They're like, I'm going to impose a nationwide diet in the weirdest way possible. It's just like, I mean, you know, it's like, what if it's a company just attacking Mrs. Fields? It's like, what do you want with Mrs. Fields cookies? All right. Uh, lay off. Lay off. The cookies aren't bad, but like, you don't need the recipe like that. Like, right. <laughs> We're going to get the secret Pocky recipe. Just, yeah, it's, it's a bit strange. <laughs> but now on April 22nd, the captors sent yet another letter to Kuriko Fujisawa, the corporate auditor for Glico. The instructions were to meet at a restaurant in Toyonaka City. And for the first time, this letter was signed by the name that this case would be known after, the Monster with 21 Faces. So let's dive into that name for just a second, because this is the first time this group, this entity, this person, whoever, finally identifies themselves. And I'm just going to refer to them as entity, because it could be a group, a person, whatever. But the name that they used was likely inspired by the novel series The Boys Detective Club by Itogawa Rampo. The main character, Kogoro Akechi, is a private detective and draws heavy inspiration from Sherlock Holmes. So, 
you know, the famous detective. Now we have right. kind of the Japanese parallel to that person. And Akachi's main adversary is called the Fiend, sometimes also translated as monster, with 20 faces. So, if you're more familiar with Sherlock Holmes like I am, we've got Moriarty 2.0, essentially, is what's going on. We've got the Fiend with 20 faces in this novel series, and they're calling themselves the Monster with 21 faces. So clearly, they either look up to this, this Fiend, this, this adversary in this detective series, with some sort of admiration, as if their cleverness and their evil doing or whatever is something to aspire to do, aspire to be, even. And it's worth knowing, too, that the Fiend in this series is a master of disguise. In one letter, the Monster with 21 Faces actually wrote, quote, Who are we? Well, sometimes a policeman, sometimes a violent gang, sometimes a factory hand, sometimes a kidnapper. But our true identity is the mystery man with 21 faces. Now, the Fiend in the novel series prefers not to use violence. I think that's important to note here. And at least that gives me a little bit of relief. But the Fiend also steals in order to show off their skill and intelligence rather than becoming wealthy. So we almost have, like, obviously like chaotic evil, but also kind of chaotic neutral in that yeah. they're, they're just out here to flaunt their skill, not necessarily hurt or cause pain or just become rich or powerful right. or whatever. You see that in like modern day times with like hackers. You'll see some hacker yeah, groups yeah. that just like, we did it just because we could. That exactly. was it. That was our reasoning. Yeah. And so this this offers like the first glimpse of insight into whatever this group is after. And it, what's, what really kind of unsettles me, though, about this case is the exact phrase here. They're saying sometimes we're a police officer, sometimes we're a kidnapper, sometimes they could be anybody anywhere at any time, whether it's a person or a group. And that makes this extraordinarily unsettling, especially if you're a Japanese citizen at the time and you're hearing about this or you're just kind of living your life and this makes its way to you. It's just what do you do then? And this only gets worse, too, moving forward. I will say when, you, when we first started talking about this whole thing, um, you said entity and I was like, "Ooh, wow, is it like is it like a mythical thing we're talking about yeah. some kind of creature? And then, you know, as we dive deeper into the story and it's about, you know, a snack company, I go, that makes more sense for it's just people <laughs> or like a group of people. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> my God, if you're here <laughs> to say that there was some entity like spiritual like a creature, or yeah. some kind of creature terrorizing a snack company. I'd be like, this is probably the weirdest one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's my limited vocab on the, uh, maybe I need to get more like, is there a detective's library or a detective's dictionary for various synonyms for what you could call a, a perp? <laughs> Look, I, man, we say a lot of words and we repeat them. And uh, we also say things wrong. I, I remember, I think a couple weeks now I've said uh, fine tooth and comb when it's fine tooth comb. Listen, I want the fine tooth and comb. I want I want the whole bag. You know, I want them I want them both. I want to really make sure we're in there though. But I'll be honest with you. I'm 31. I thought that was that's that's how you said it for all my life. <laughs> hey. But guess what? They knew what you were saying. Yeah, they got, got it. <laughs> I got it. And we're good. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, dope. That's how it said. All right, mm -hmm. cool." <laughs> you got some fine teeth and a comb? That's a man right there. That's Alfredo Diaz. Mm -hmm. Smile, bling. Comb. Boom. Yeah. Hair just so, smile gleaming. But yeah, that's that's really where this case starts to get 
I don't know. It was already unsettling just by the way they were going about things. And it also felt strange because it didn't seem like there was a way to pin this down. Like, clearly there's some loose ends here. They're letting this guy go. Not intentionally, but they left him off by himself. It just like, none of it felt right. And this is kind of why, because they're not necessarily out here specifically to be evil or or gain wealth or whatever. Um, and maybe that's why they never show up for these ransoms. But on the other hand, the fact that they are truly not going after anything benign or anything beneficial and they, and they're saying yes anybody you see on the street could be us now that's just a recipe for fear that's just fear mongering right right there yeah but again we're still just cracking into this so now on may 10th more letters were sent to newspapers saying various things and i'll read a couple quotes here to the poor policeman glico is annoying so i injected two products with 0.05 grams of sodium cyanide in the stores in the area between Nagoya and Akoyama. It's not enough to kill, but the target will be hospitalized. After eating Glico, let's go to the hospital. Let's eat Glico and go to the graveyard. These are various things said throughout the letter. And now you perhaps see, again, I don't know what the motive is yet. And there's a lot of theories behind that, why they're targeting this snack company. But maybe this is it. Maybe it's because they offer a lot of leverage and on fear because you can find their products popularly all over the nation. And if you say two specific boxes of this product are poisoned and you give them a range between two different cities, now that's some fear. And this is a popular company, no less. And so maybe fear is their motive. What that tells me is that they definitely have an agenda of some sort. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it be kind of more of a trolley one or not. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is there seems to be lines that they won't cross. Right. Um, you know, they haven't killed anyone so far. You know, they left the wife and kids. And even here in this letter, very Zodiac-esque. So yeah. I see why you say that. Um, you know, they're, t- they're talking about how it won't kill. They're specifically saying like, hey, this will not kill someone. It will hospitalize them, but it won't kill them. Right. And it's just like, I don't know, that says a lot, I think, about uh, the group. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's it's like a warning shot. And, you know, they're talking to the policemen and the newspapers, very reminiscent of the Zodiac. They have this very self-grandizing kind of attitude about their own skill and knowledge, their confidence in the way that they are elusive. And that continues to only play out more and more from here. I know I keep saying that, but it but it really does. But, you know, after that letter comes out, people are afraid and grocery and convenience stores are forced to remove their entire stock of Glico products from their shelves just in case, right? To prevent liability, to prevent anyone from getting hurt, and to, to just be safe. Mass panic then ensues from those who had already purchased Glico products because now they're like, well, I don't know if this was one of the ones or not. And here we go. Here comes the fear. And from that, maybe this is part of the motive that you were getting at, right? Glico had to recall about $21 million, I think that's USD, worth of their products. And that also caused Glico's stock to drop, and they were forced then to lay off 450 employees. So now we have an immediate impact on this company, and maybe therein is the motive. Again, I don't know why it's a food company, but is there something behind this company is there is there actions taken? Are their values misaligned? Like, w- what is it? 
but ultimately no one was ever detected to have been poisoned from the Glico products. So at least there's that. So whether it was the precautions or whether it was a false claim or something, thankfully no one was ever detected to have had the poison. And there's a there's a good chance that this was actually a false claim. That's because true. If I remember correctly, a couple of times they, you know, kind of said, hey, meet at this location at this time and then just didn't show up. So it's not out of character for sure. Yeah. You know what? This makes me feel like again. And this is why I bring up the Zodiac, because that person clearly enjoyed puppeting the police, pulling strings and watching them dance, as it were. And I don't know, we'll, we'll continue to theorize as we go, but something really feels weird about this and it really feels like how much damage can i do with the simple letter uh, i mean clearly there's there's something deeper behind this because they factually kidnapped the president of this company in such a eerie way i mean it wasn't a bust in and enter and, and grab and nab it was precise it was surgical and then they just kind of let that person go and then these letters are literally the only thing fueling outside of the fires, I should say. They're really the letters are the only thing fueling this fear and this financial damage to the company, the uh, the loss of jobs for these unfortunate folks. Like this is weird. It's um, it's a strange one for sure. I don't know. I think I think it's really important also be, because it is strange. Now, what's and I just on that note, it's mm -hmm. really important to think about this because, you know, you and I are American and we have a, our own culture and our own individual backgrounds, right. etc. Yep. Now, this is the Japanese culture, and I can't pretend to know much about Japanese culture and, and the you know, all of that. But it is important to note here that the reason why this was so extremely shocking and so odd at that time or any other time is because this is a crime that the Japanese people would have widely believed that this is a crime of the West, right? This is not a typical crime that you would see in Japan. And that I think is really worth noting. Uh, and that's what makes this so like just over the top odd. I mean, it's already odd, right? Yeah, that's an interesting note for sure. Yeah. Um, I never really thought about that. Like I know there's different forms of crime, but I never thought about like certain forms of crime not really showing up um, often in different countries, right? Uh, or cultures. So that's I, that's a, that's a POV I've never even thought about. Right. In, I mean, same. So that's that's pretty wild to think of. And just kind of on top of that cultural impact as well, there was this echoing effect in the immediate aftermath of these letters, right? Where people that were giving Glico chocolates and candies and stuff as whether they were gifts or what have you to friends or family or whatever, there was this constant need to reassure everybody that, you know, that these were not from Glico, like that these are, these are confectionaries from other companies that, hey, no, it's safe. You don't, you know, don't worry about it. But, you know, that kind of plays into the next phase of this mystery, right? Now people are, regardless of this being a one-time splash, regardless of, you know, no more letters at this time, people are now completely averse to Glico products and just trying to avoid them, right? Yeah, I mean, it's insane. They obviously have performed some actions, um, but like you were saying earlier, I think it is it is pretty insane how the simple just writing of a threat, you know, or, or the call of a threat can just set everything into a panic and a frenzy. Yeah, just I getting, you know, not going back to just like why this company, but 
yeah i mean that makes sense that's how you cripple a company right like you, mm -hmm. without even harming anybody it's just so oh man it's so weird that it almost appears to be so easy right it's spooky <laughs> yeah right you, they do want like grabbing and abducting someone from their home as rare as it appears to be in my mind is something that also appears to be pretty simple right like if you just want to walk across the the street break into someone's front door and then snatch somebody you could getting away with it's a whole different story that's complex that's that's the complexity there that's the difficulty but like actually like forcing someone and like walking in forcing someone out of their home i don't feel like it takes much Ugh. um so i feel like <laughs> i hate they're, thinking they're, about that <laughs> i i no i completely do you know what i mean that's just that's just a real thought like yeah um i completely do i mean, I mean like again that's why i arm myself because uh, i don't play that with that being said i feel like they're just taking just enough action right they did that little thing where just like we abducted somebody right let him go oh no he got away from us it could very be that's what they want in the first place so that kind of like sets the stage that they're they're serious that they're willing to actually you know take their they're willing to actually do a crime and to take what they say seriously and then from there that just like i said that sets the stage for them to just kind of create whatever narrative they want right you you just do one crime let the person kind of basically uh, escape on their own without the outfit you gave them or without the cuffs that could have your fingerprints on it maybe they allowed that person to escape so they could basically say everything else we do after this point you should take seriously but in their minds they're going wink wink yeah actually these are just empty threats right yep that's that's a good thought man and then the goal that they have is really to just cripple this company and that's mm -hmm. boom done what if, whoa what if this is the president of their of their competition you know willy wonka chocolate doc jonathan hershey man at your service uh, uh <laughs> look look <laughs> like a hershey company billy cadbury here <laughs> hershey's coming after them wild what a what a play <laughs> what a play hershey um Ugh. but man you gotta think um it's probably something that happens right just especially i don't know maybe i've seen too many movies but like uh maybe within like uh, pharmaceutical companies where like they just there's these wars that we don't see right oh these man corporate a bunch of secret uh, espionage and, and and spies like trying to you know what i mean like because there's billions of dollars behind these companies yeah and so it's always just like a, a race this is world changing money yep behind these companies world changing 100%. power yeah it's woo. we could really uh we could really dive in there yeah that's a whole nother can oh, of worms to open for sure well, the pattern continues before we exit, before the Glico partners, you know, are out of the realm of, of issue here. Let's, let's finish up with Glico before we move on. On May 20th, Nagaoka Perfumery, which is a partner with Glico, received a letter. Now, this letter, to be clear, was essentially telling them to send a letter to Glico. They say that whoever this is that sent it to him says, here's a pre-written letter. You give that to Glico or else we will give that to Glico. And essentially, the long and short of that letter says to make their company vanish by using a hundred sticks of dynamite. <laughs> Basically some more blackmail going on and now they're tapping the partners, the, the corporate partners here. They're really trying to tear down 
this company and it's in everything it touches. Yeah, from like literally like every head of the snake. Not to say the company is a snake of a company, but you know, just trying to yeah. use that metaphor. But like, uh, blow it up with sticks of dynamite. This, this group really skates the line of like seriousness and being an actual threat, and then does something like that that just makes me go, "All right, you guys are just trolling." Like what? Is- that's really yeah it's it's i don't know if they're trying to have the metaphor uh, because this could be like an idiom it could be a turn of phrase in japanese culture it could be something like death by a thousand cuts right where none of these actions inherently strike an enormous blow but all of them compound to make a giant effect where the company is boom gone overnight and so then you have to start wondering regardless why are they trying to make this company vanish what is what again this goes back to what you were asking like what is their motive for taking out this food company because it's one thing to instill fear in people by way of poisoning popular foods it's another to be clearly after glico and this whether it's the president the family or what have you yeah i keep waiting for like the other foot to drop and um for this entity to just draw uh, you know maybe just like plop some information of hey, this is why we're attacking this company. There's some very shady stuff going on. Mm -hmm. I just keep thinking in the back of my head, like, okay, like, when when are they going to sit here and be like, hey, this is why we're doing this. There's very bad things going on within this company. Yeah, why not just say it like that? Yeah, because, I mean, honestly, maybe this is trying to think like an evil mastermind. I mean, that's how you really stir stuff up too, right? So not only are you attacking them like you know from a physical pov in terms of their bank account but you're also demoralizing them in that sense of at this point right now they probably have the masses sympathizing for them yeah and if you start to be you know you're hurting your own case then if you're really trying to tear this company down for some evil doing you got the public now going no company yeah you get the or you know you guy guy i mean you don't even have to doesn't even have to be true right you can just kind of mm-hmm. say like hey we've you know there, there's all of these like very bad things going on within the company lots of injustice and whatnot then you start splitting the media then it goes from boohoo to the company to they're bleeding and losing money but maybe they deserve it and it just man, that'd be a, a mess of a mess oh yeah well after this okay more letters begin trickling in to newspapers and glico themselves primarily at this point, attacking the police for not being able to catch the monster. Now we really hit the Zodiac levels, right? Taunting the police yeah. by saying, you can't get me. And it goes even further. They even include hints in this letter to help the police catch them. They're giving the color and type of car that they drive to basically say, you still can't catch us even if I give you your first real tip. Like, you you, you have nothing to go off of. I'll give you this and you still won't find me. And then after this, Glico actually asked that stores start selling their products again. On June 22nd, another ransom note enters the fray. It's sent to Takashi Haga, the president of Marudai Foods. And in this ransom note, it says, quote, It's super easy to put potassium cyanide in things. Just get a syringe and we can put it in ham, sausage, anything else. Then on June 26th, the monster sent a letter to newspapers claiming that they were done with Glico and would be leaving Japan. They had this to say, quote, Japan has gotten terribly hot and humid, so our work is done. We want to go to Europe. Geneva, Paris, London. We'll be in one of those places. Let's bring Pocky, the traveler's friend. 
delicious Glico products. We're eating them too. See you in January of next year. This was the last letter sent from the monster that mentioned Glico. They then seemingly shifted their focus over to Marudai Foods, who is uh, who is the one who recently got that ransom note. And now we're in the post-Glico era of this mystery, as they now expand their efforts into other food companies. Okay, see, I was wondering, but here's they're expanding to other food companies, and we still don't know why they attacked the previous one. <laughs> like, and we may never. We may never know. Such trolls. It's deep trolling for sure. It's it's also like one of those things where if I'm going to be threatened like that or if, if this is a situation that unfortunately falls in my lap, maybe it's a weird train of thought that I'm going with right now. I'd rather have it be a serious threat than a threat that's just like like this kind of I don't know. Listen, if you're going to poison just, somebody, just poison somebody. I'm tired of this dance. Like, let's go. Is that what you're like, saying? Yeah. You know what? Let's like, let's, let's dance. What is this like ring around the rosy trolling thing? Like, let's, let's go. Let's get this over with. Yeah. Let's figure this out. It's, and it's been going on for many, many months at this point. So now a few days after that Branson note to Takashi, we have another one, right? June 28th, police received instructions for the Marudai Ransom Exchange. Now, this is where things start to get really interesting, and this is this is really fascinating to me, this part. On a train bound for Kyoto, from Osaka, someone would wave a white flag as a signal for this ransom to be dropped out of the window to be picked up by unknown, right? So an undercover police officer's like, all right, I'll go exchange the ransom, but in getting to this train, and getting on this train, and going out, in order to look for this flag or whatever, they noticed that a man seemed to be following them. The man had permed hair, thin lips and eyebrows, wore a suit and thin rimmed glasses. He is quoted to have eyes like those of a fox. And that's kind of all we really know about this person. Now on this trip from Osaka to Kyoto, the officer didn't see any white flag, no evidence of the sign that they were supposed to look for and that would tell them when to drop off the money. So they never did drop off the money. In fact, when they got to Kyoto, they got off the train, went to the first train going back the other way, back to Osaka. And what's odd is that this man that they had identified as following them came with them, followed them on the, U like basically taking a U-turn with them. So now this mysterious man with the eyes like a fox is now on the return train with them. So now he's returning. The officer was ultimately unable to arrest this person because they didn't want to draw too much attention to themselves. They also didn't want to mistakenly miss whoever this monster was, whatever the sign, right? The, the white flag. They didn't want to miss that. Yeah. And the officer called this person the, the fox-eyed man, and that's how we'll refer to them moving forward. But it seemed like they did a little bit of a, a cat and mouse dance. Uh, the, the police officer kept trying to loop back around and follow this person while they seemed to be following him in return. And when they kind of caught on before the police officer could catch up to this person, they got away. They disappeared into the crowd and the officer lost sight of him. Hello, everybody. Your friendly neighborhood watchman is here. Trevor Collins. 
I haven't changed my name in the middle of the episode. I'm parting the mystery to do a bit of housekeeping as always. You know, we got that merch I'm super excited about. If you want to join the task force, go to store.roosterteeth.com. All the proceeds for that merch, as you can imagine, go directly to us to support this podcast. It's expansion to rule the world. That's my ultimate goal. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's no conspiracy here. Uh, I want everybody in the world to be on the task force. So that way uh, I can make my way to the president's chair. Okay. The seat so I can get to those notes. That's what this is all about. I want to get to the president's notebook to figure out, you know, what's behind everything. Are aliens real? Are they really the, uh, the answer to all these mysteries? Only time will tell. But once you're in the task force, I encourage you to vote for me. And hey, listen, this is my announcement. I'm going to run for president every, every election. Okay. Even in the off seasons, just write me in. We got this. But with that said, Thank you for supporting the podcast. It really does mean a lot to us, especially those who leave reviews to or subscribe to us on various platforms. And uh, for those of you who share this podcast with your friends and retweet us, it does truly mean a lot. I know we ask for that a lot and I know we talk about that a lot, but it does really mean a lot for an audio podcast like this. It's uh, it's the best way to grow it. So thank you for continuing to do that. But anyway, let's jump into those sponsors, baby. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. A lot of us take care of our bodies, but these last couple of years have been tough. So we might also want to take care of our minds. There's a misunderstanding of what therapy is, and it can be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be sitting around and talking about your feelings. When going to the BetterHelp website, I use their quick and easy quiz to figure out the best way for BetterHelp to help me. You can click on the type of topic that you are looking to get help with from a counselor, anything from depression to anxiety to stress to grief to relationships and everything in between, and your quiz goes super easily from there. You can say whether you're looking for couple counseling, teenage counseling for a child, or individual counseling for yourself. So I went through that quiz. It was super simple to get to a specialist who would help me out with something that I would need help with, such as anxiety. That's something that afflicts me personally, and I greatly appreciate the ease with which this website can help you find a counselor. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy really is about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. You are all you've got. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Red Web listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash redweb. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash redweb. Get your 10% off today and invest in yourself. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show is a podcast that you really should be listening to and I know every day. Somebody tells you, you have to listen to some podcast and you nod and you say, okay, sure, I'll do it. But then you never do. Well, don't let that happen here because Jordan's show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed and more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Each episode is a conversation with a different, fascinating guest. And when they say there's something for everyone... They really do mean it. In one episode, Jordan talks to a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you, which sounds useful and disturbing all at the same time. 
Another episode tells a story of a professional art forger who somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. I would recommend the episode with Mark Edward, entitled The True Confessions of a Fake Psychic. And if you're a fan of this show, I'm sure you're going to really dig uh, the conversation within that one. Another episode I would recommend that you check out is with CoffeeZilla on how to expose fake guru scams. Jordan's always focused on pulling useful, practical insights out of his brilliant guests. And they're not talking about pop psychology or wishy-washy self-help stuff here. The episodes are loaded with bits of wisdom that you can use to legitimately change your mind and improve your life right away. We really enjoy the show and we think you will as well. So search The Jordan Harbinger Show now. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And with that said, let's get back into the mystery. So ultimately, out of all of that, the the money was never exchanged. It was never dropped off. A sign was never given. But we do have this mysterious fox-eyed man. Now, it seems after this non-exchange of ransom money that the monster moved on to yet another food company named Morinaga. And this is the company that makes Haichu. If you're not familiar with that, it's a chewy, fruity candy. Yeah, I love Haichu. Yeah. Haichu apple is fantastic. There you go. So now they're after Morinaga. And now we're in September of 1984. So about half a year after everything kicked off. Now on September 12th, Morinaga received a letter from the monster along with 30 grams of sodium hypochlorite and 30 Morinaga foods that were confirmed to be poisoned. In that letter, they said, quote, you probably know my name. Your company is doing well because of Glico's loss. So if you feel bad about it, give us 100 million yen, end quote. The monster threatened to poison their food if Morinaga didn't pay the ransom. So now, you know, they tanked this company, this Glico company, and they're saying, hey, you know what? Let's start turning to their competition. Because whether it is uh, some sort of corporate issue and they're all in the game together, I don't know. But they're basically like, listen, I don't want anyone profiting off of my works. So why don't we just go after all of them? What in the what? <laughs> right. They're like, you must be doing pretty good because everyone's avoiding that Pocky. So they're going after your Haichu. You get the ransom now. <laughs> what, what, they, what does this group have against snacks? Why is it just snacks? Now, that's what that's what gives me the most fear. That's the They're real... coming after our snacks, dude. Like, oh, if there's man. one thing sacred, it's <laughs> Gabu and snacks, man. Leave snack time alone. <laughs> I, just, I just don't. I, I don't. Wild could be going after. I mean, at this point, I just don't believe that they want like money or. Yeah. You know. Well, they, they we just, got another ransom note. It's definitely like just want to send a message. Right. Well. Much like the other ransom notes, I think you know where this might be going, but Morinaga is like, all right, fine, let's just nip this in the bud. They attempted to pay the ransom, but no one ever came for it. No one arrived. And honestly, probably smart, because like you said, they'd probably just be nabbed and grabbed in that moment. As soon as they touch their hand on the, on the handle of that money briefcase, cuffs, boom. Yeah, I can't, how do you get away? I thought it was really bold that, um, was it the wolf? Or the fox-eyed? Yeah, the fox-eyed man. Uh, even jumped on a train. Right! <laughs> if this is balls. someone related to the case, you're following an undercover police officer with ransom money. Yep. And then, and then on the return train, 
you, you, you went off on the same stop to go back the opposite direction at the same time. There's a problem here. That's ballsy, if that's you. Oh, yeah. I, I, man. That's, that sounds like some movie stuff, man. It does. Hey, I mean, a lot of movies are real life events, even then, like, in, inspired by real events. Yeah, I guess you're right. So, no one came to collect the ransom. However, this time, on October 7th, odd labels started to be found on Morinaga's two products, Choco Balls and Angel Pies. Now, these labels showed up on these foods in stores ranging from Osaka to Kyoto and Nagoya. They're all in about, you know, a small cluster of, of space in the southern Japan region, but they're quite far apart if you consider the number of stores that this could impact. These labels said, quote, This has poison in it. If you eat it, you will die. Monster with 21 faces. These labeled snacks actually turned out did in fact contain cyanide. And so now we Dang. have proof, boom, we got product with actual confirmed cyanide in it. And they're saying, hey, this is gonna kill you. I put a label on it. So again, do they really wanna hurt somebody or are they really looking for attention? And how'd they get it in there? And how did they put these labels on and not get caught? I still think it's an attention thing, right? Mm -hmm. it, if I'm not mistaken, they haven't really it's been there's been a bit of a lull since they've done actually had some action behind their words. Yeah, I think so. Outside of the fox-eyed man on the train, it's yeah. mostly been letters and ransoms and yeah. no shows. Yeah, I feel like the the fox-eyed man on the train is just I don't know. That's not that's not like a general public type of threat. I feel like it's very it was very much just like a okay. I'm just kind of a a troll here. Mm -hmm. Um, this is more just like hey, just just. Just to let you know, still serious, still a threat, and now we can go back to trolling and you guys taking us seriously. Yeah, you know what? That's a great point. That, like you said, this might just be a way to rekindle the fear in their empty threats. Because they're like, please don't die. I don't want to actually be a criminal. I just want you to see that this really does have poison in it. <laughs> yeah. And now believe my words. The next day... So October 8th, a letter was sent to newspapers addressing the mothers of Japan. A letter to all mothers. It said, quote, In autumn, appetite is huge. Candy is great. When you think sweets, no matter what you say, it's Morinaga, right? We added some special flavor to it. The flavor of potassium cyanide is a little bitter. Tell children not to get cavities and buy it for them. End quote. Spooky. It's like a group of people that like don't have any teeth and they lost it all to all these snacks and sweets and this is like the vendetta yeah don't grow up my like me kids I'm, i got gums <laughs> i gotta gum my steaks dude like i just don't even know yeah well regardless of again regardless of what they're after or what they plan to do next there the implications are real 40,000 or so police officers were sent to watch over stores across Japan to prevent any further poisoned snacks. Now, this kind of depletes the police force against any other crimes going on. They're focused in on this. And yes, this is serious, but the ramifications, the, the echoes, the, the waves, the impact, whatever analogy you want, from what is going on here, empty or otherwise, have real world uh, events, right? Or real world Consequences. Consequences, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting here, though, is they did, in fact, find a suspect via CCTV. Now, remember, this is the 80s. 
So CCTV footage is a bit, you know, there's a lot of room to be desired, right? There's no zoom and enhance in the 80s. Yeah. But they found a suspect as well as an abandoned van with odd items. This van had a vacuum, a hat, some wire cutters, just odds and ends that would be weird otherwise. And a still from that security footage was actually made public in order to basically ask for any knowledge from the public. Say, hey, have you seen this videotaped man? They are now referred to as the videotaped man because otherwise they have no identity, they have a hat on, very hard to tell who they are. But all the leads that they received from this kind of public outcry went nowhere. This made the monster taunt the police even more, and they wrote newspapers even more. They're so mean. They're so mean. <laughs> so They're just mean. rubbing it in. They said on November 1st, they said, Isn't the man in the video a splendid chap? You won't be able to trace us from anything we've left behind. So, essentially saying like, I don't know if that's me or not. If it was, good luck finding me. <sighs> uh, Frustrating. This is like just a new... There are definitely, you know, points mm -hmm. in every story for every episode where there's just frustration, whether it be a lack of evidence or lack of like proper procedure or, you know, just like, hey, this is such a riveting conspiracy. I wish I wish we nailed it down or, you know, the popular where's the tangible evidence if we only had tangible evidence. Um, this is frustrating in a whole new way. Yeah. Like a whole new way. Yeah. They're just running around. At this point, I'm just like, what are you waiting for? Right. It's that movie moment where you're like, what are you? Just kill me. Take me down. And this is this is why I really kind of tap into Death Note. This is where that like the police know there's someone there. There's someone there. They have no way to grasp that person. They feel oddly close. And so the investigation has to be very clever. That's where I'm really pulling those notes from, because clearly there's someone there. Clearly they're full of themselves and they kind of keep reaching out in a way, but they still maintain that arm's length. And to me, that's just so frustrating. Yeah. It's, it, it, it really is just fear mongering at this point. So now we're in November, all right? It's, it's been many months that this has gone on, like I said earlier. And in November of 1984, the monster sent a batch of poisoned curry. So now we're away from the candies. We've expanded our portfolio into other foods. Poisoned curry gets sent to House Foods, also asking them for ransom money. House Foods decides to go through with the ransom because they're like, listen, let's just, again, like everyone else, let's just try to end this. Yeah. They went to the meetup spot in Shiga Prefecture with police officers, so we're all here, we're, uh, we're showing up at the site, November 28th. The officers were looking out for the fox-eyed man, their only suspect at this point, and saw him waiting at a rest stop. It's just like Zodiac, this guy's goofing off a block away. <laughs> what? Get this man. But again, the man was able to evade police officers and no one ever came to collect the money. And so now this, to me, solidifies, all right, this, this fox-eyed man with his glasses and permed hair, this guy is our guy. It just has to be, unless they misidentified has someone to. else. And he's telling people, to, he just loves to watch them dance. He's going to give you a meetup place, and he's going to watch as you all swarm that place, and he's going to chuckle to himself, and he's going to disappear into the crowd. Usually I'd say this is how you eventually get caught. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, this is Red Web, so <laughs> more than likely they uh, disappeared, got away with it. Right. And you would think, oh, my God, th there is a police sketch, a composite sketch of this gentleman 
how accurate it is remains to be known because obviously this person is still at large, but oh my God, is that frustrating, right? To know yeah. that you had, like, could have been right there. Right there. Literally but, right there. It can't, it can't get any more infuriating than that. Mm-hmm. Well, by August of 1985, we are now way past a year of this having gone down. After almost 50 letters were sent taunting companies and the police and newspapers, uh, and more ransoms were sent to other food companies, the Glico Morinaga case still had very few leads. Okay, we're, we're essentially got, we've got no ground covered. That same month, after continually struggling with the pressure of the case, unfortunately, the head of the Shiga Prefecture Police, Soji Yamamoto, ended his own life. And upon receiving this news, the monster sent a final letter to newspapers claiming that their crimes would stop there. They had this to say in the letter, No career Yamamoto died like a man, so we decided to give our condolences. We decided to forget about torturing food-making companies. If anyone blackmails any of the food-making companies, it's not us, but someone copying us. We are bad guys. That means we've got more to do other than bullying companies. It's fun to lead a bad man's life, monster with 21 faces, end quote. And this again kind of goes back to the idea that they truly didn't want any violence to befall anybody. Yeah. And when this finally happened, they drove a man to his unfortunate end. They said, listen, we're out, but we're proud about what we do. <laughs> and uh, it's it's just gross. It's just trolls to the end. Mm -hmm. We got more bad guy stuff to do or something like that. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what they're up to at this point, I but this is the this time the monster with 21 faces kept their word. They're no longer extorting any other companies. They didn't pop up anywhere else. Things gradually went back to normal in Japan. And ultimately, the police investigated 125,000 people. They followed tens wow. of thousands of leads. Exactly. Like mind boggling numbers. Holy here. tons and tons of leads never caught the monster. Damn. Mm -hmm. They I mean, you know, they they did a, a ton and then got out. Right. Or or set a ton. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. More set a ton for sure. Weird. Just weird. This is just such a troll of a story. Yeah. Let's talk about the fox-eyed man for a brief second and then I want to talk about a specific individual. Then we'll get into the theories because there's a lot of other groundwork I want to lay before we kind of try to look back at this case at a macro level and see if we can't try to decipher what might have gone down here. So the fox-eyed man is, is the person that was from the train. It's one of only two suspects ever seen through the Glico Morinaga case. What's worth mentioning as well, the police officer that noticed them following him on the train said of this fox-eyed man and said that, you know, they kept a watchful eye while maintaining a serious and expressionless face. The fact that they were basically following and staring down this police officer is what tipped the police officer off in the first place to them following them. And, and to me, this really does seem like this is our, our guy, our main person. And, and it's still yet to be determined if this is the same suspect or a different suspect than the one known as the videotaped man. It's so unbelievably bold. Very bold. <laughs> like, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And maybe being seen on that last ransom drop-off uh, and needing to disappear into the crowd again, maybe that was their, okay, 
you know, the one, two final nails in the coffin, you know, the unfortunate demise on one hand and then the, uh, okay, they saw me here again. They've seen my face twice. I got to end this. Yeah. I don't know what kind of jollies they're getting out of this, but. The, oh my God, the balls. Yeah. I, I would never. Oh God, no. But when it comes to the videotape, man, the reason why I want to dive into uh, to that person as well. And the reason why this person is a suspect, again, whether they're the same person or not, is because the CCTV footage of this person at a convenience store seems to show them going back to, uh, you know, they grabbed a magazine and then they went to the back of the store where they walked up the aisle to the confectionaries, placed something on the shelf, walked out, purchased the magazine and left. They had a hat on, but their hair was curly. They also wore glasses. They had a suit and they had a baseball hat that really obscured their face from the cameras, made it hard to see, but it was a Yamiuri Giants baseball cap. Now, a lot of people do believe that these are the same individuals, especially based on the response that they got. You know, the, the, the person, whoever this monster is, they said, isn't that person so dapper? Aren't they just good looking? Right. And why would they yeah. say that unless they were, you know, the, the clearly the very egotistical perps here. But before we dive into the theories, I want to take a moment to outline an individual named Manabu Miyazaki and kind of give some background to this person as they do kind of end up being one of the main suspects for the Glico Morinaga case. They're nicknamed M by the police, so that way the media can protect their identity as the case goes on. Just, you know, obviously in case this person isn't, uh, isn't, isn't the person, right? Now, when it comes to M, and, and, and again, you're, you're going to see it really quickly here, but this person kind of brings in some of our questions and kind of stitches some of this together in a nice way. So M was of interest to the police because he was a whistleblower to the fact that Izaki Glico was illegally dumping waste into local rivers from 1977 to 1978. So this person had a known grudge against the company. He looked very similar to the composite sketch of the fox-eyed man and sported the same perm with uh, the same thin rimmed glasses. By his own admission though, M had ties to the Yakuza even his father was a Yakuza boss. And so now we're really laying the groundwork, right? The monster yeah. uh, looking back would have needed a lot of resources like poison and firearms and whatever. And those are things that the Yakuza would have afforded you uh, if you had ties to them. Now, obviously, M is out here denying that they were ever involved with the monster. And on June 28th and November 28th, those are two days that the fox-eyed man was seen M claimed that he was in Tokyo at a labor union meeting, and this does seem to be corroborated. So now, now this is the really, yeah, like I clench my jaw for this because it feels like, all right, on, in a lot of non-material ways, this feels like the key. This feels like it fits, yeah. And and we found what we needed, but the alibi seems strong, and it and it seems like. You know, in fact, in, in 1990, let's just say it. In 1990, the police actually stopped pursuing Miyazaki because they were unable to disprove his alibis and confirm that he was the <sighs> fox-eyed man. So they did a lot of poking and probing and trying to figure this out. That doesn't surprise me, though. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the the group or the entity just seemed to be as trolly and as weird as they were on point with mm. and very meticulous about what they were doing and how they executed it so i would you know the fact that there was a airtight alibi does not surprise me at all 
That's, that is a great point because you're right. This does seem like someone who is playing a, for lack of a better word, tremendous chess game, you know? And this is where my conspiracy hat starts to come on because, you know, people started to theorize that M wasn't alone, that they teamed up with other wronged employees. And in fact, M also participated in a workers union whose video of demands strongly resembles the demands of the monster. Now in 2005, Miyazaki wrote a book named Topomono, and that book describes his experience in crime and being the main suspect of the Glico Morinaga case. You can read that at your leisure. Who knows if they're involved, but I want to go back to what you said. Mm-hmm. If this person's the ringleader, they could easily place, hey, person A, go be at this site, go be at that site, get seen and then leave. They could say, somebody else, write this letter. They could kind of, and then person C and D go abduct somebody else, right? They they could move these parts yeah. around and yeah. they could be the kind of mastermind, but then they give themselves alibis and everyone else maybe feels completely unconnected in that way. Yeah, I mean, the more people you have, the more confusion you can cause, and mm-hmm. the, the quickly you can move around. So that, especially because, I don't know, you know, you throw on a hat and then and, and some clothes and whatnot, you get people the same build and then all of a sudden it's harder to crack that. Right. Yeah. I mean, especially if it's a perm. One of us, you and I, can go get a perm and really change our look. And if that becomes your kind of quote signature look, you can also get non-prescription glasses. You can really make it be like, that must be the same guy, because who would have that distinct perm unless there was planning behind it, right? Who would have these distinct glasses? unless there's planning behind it. And that kind of leads us nicely into the first theory that I want to discuss, which is that this is a group or an individual that was a former employee. And that is the first place that the police looked. They looked for the monster in Izaki Glico itself. You know, maybe it's a wronged employee that had a vendetta out for the company, especially since they did not seem to have financial gains in mind and they never came to collect the ransom money and all of those other odd patterns. I mean, that's... Where you start, right? I mean, we talked about this in previous episodes where um, all these crimes or a handful of these crimes, like you start with family members, friends, lovers, whatnot. Um, a lot of times, like, that's kind of like where, it, where that lies, you know? Someone to do something so extreme, they have to have such, a lot of times they have such a strong connection to the victim. Right. Very rarely you're, you're going to find a, uh, a crime of just random violence you know you're not usually there's something involved there whether it's like you said like a relationship or otherwise very rarely you're going to see somebody going out there and just be like i'm just going to do something and usually if it if it's that kind of crime it's it's not going to be something super grandiose and well planned yeah and furthermore like in in this theory you know it seems that the monster had a lot of knowledge about for example the president of glico's home right they knew where the two keys were and that one belonged to Izaki's mother and where the mother was and how to get that key. They knew that the home had a security system so they could avoid it. They knew the layout of the house so they could move efficiently. And they knew the home phone number of the uh, the head of HR and the location of that house because they called them. They asked for the ransom to be placed outside of that house in the car. And so they know a lot of intimate details that maybe you could look up if you were determined. But let's remember, this is the 80s. It's not necessarily that easy to, you know, there's no internet to kind of really quickly research all this. So it definitely feels like someone is in close proximity to this company, at least. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that kind of makes sense. Um, they did move off and over to like different companies, but the way they interacted with the different companies was more broad. Yeah. Um, the first company was a lot more intimate, so. Absolutely. I mean, remember the fires, right? Yeah. Whoever started these fires needed to have easy access to the parking lot, which sure, it maybe the parking lot's like a grocery store and you could just pull in. Or maybe it's like most companies where you have a gate with a guard and you have to buzz in. But either way, they had to have access to these various buildings for Glico in order to set these fires off. Another another reason why people think that this is someone local to the Glico headquarters is because there is a specific dialect that is correlated with this area, the Osaka Kansai dialect. And you, you could pick that up through uh, word choice and grammar, much like you might be able to with various American accents. But, you know, it is worth mentioning that someone can fake that, especially since it's written. You can kind of uh, put on an accent or you can put on a way of speaking. And, and maybe that was to make people think that they're from this area. But I don't know if they would. I don't know. That's all up to opinion, I suppose. But you raised a good question just a moment ago that I do want to kind of dive into which is, if this was a former Glico employee, why would they attack other companies as well? It's clear that the monster was extremely well connected with Glico, and, you know, we talked about this M character and perhaps some of their motivations. Maybe there are similar motivations against the industry at large, and maybe they had a grudge with the entire industry. Or maybe they just wanted to cause a ruckus, I, I don't know. I, I lean more towards causing a ruckus. I, I feel like if they... I don't know. Um, a lot of their actions seem very purposeful. So yeah. I think that if they were trying to attack the industry as a whole, that they would give kind of like that same treatment. That's true. I don't know. I, I, I'm still kind of like behind that. Like the first company was very, felt very intimate. Yes, 100%. And I mean, like, and that goes with this theory as well. Many people think, yeah, this is a Glico employee because of how much they definitely knew about that company over the other ones yeah and and that's kind of where this theory lies you know there's there's other kind of inklings that people have like um the letters being addressed specifically to mothers of japan that perhaps this was an effort to ruin the reputation of these companies and maybe it does tie back to this illegal dumping of toxic chemicals into the rivers i know that that is uh you know nature is very important I mean, around the world, let's be real, yeah. but but certainly to the culture of Japan. And, you know, there this could have struck just the wrong chord with whoever was behind this. And they decided that the evil behind what they were doing here was not nearly the level of evil behind the companies. And so they felt that their actions were righteous. And maybe that's what they were, you know, if it's taking down an evil company, Maybe sometimes it takes a little bit of an evil hand to do it. And and maybe that's, you know, maybe that that seems to me to be like a really, I don't know, it, it feels on the surface right. But again, we may never know. Yeah. Apparently there's a lot of really bad snack companies out there. I, it's, <laughs> like, like, it's like the, it's the show The Good Place, you know? We're all going, spoilers, we're all going to the bad place because no matter who you buy from, what you're, what you try to do, yeah. Someone along the line is evil and you're supporting that. And it's yeah, like, oh, that that chain, right? Like, even if someone if you weren't the one that did that evil thing, you are part of the chain. Mm hmm. God, that is ugh, that's a scary thought. Yeah. Well, moving into the next theory, uh, and we have two more Japanese police theorize that there may have been political motive to the case 
and investigated both right and left wing extremist groups in order to kind of dive in there and say, okay, well, you're going after this company. Maybe it's not a uh, an employee sort of thing. Maybe it's not a company centric thing, but maybe political. The monster attacked large corporations with strong influence in Japan. As you could see, the fear mongering definitely spread. Whatever message that they might have had or could have had definitely would have left a big impact. Police were activated to respond to it. A lot of stores pulled a lot of product. There was a big ripple effect here. This individual or this group, whatever, they, they even seem to have a dislike or disdain for sweets and possibly the effect that they have on health since, you know, and this is reading into it a little bit, but since the monster spoke directly to the mothers and then spoke to the mothers and their kids, it definitely seemed like they were trying to pull on heartstrings. And, and that's why people start to go, well, maybe this person is just looking for a healthier nation, but this is a wild way to go about that. It, it really is. I just don't. And then why stop? Right? Like if, if you're, I don't know. I, w I would think that someone that is thinking and then and has that mindset of like i'm going I mean, i'm trying to say and protect the world or whatnot wouldn't deviate from their plan the way that they did mm -hmm. well i mean I, I guess they would end though if someone got hurt you know if that if if that was not their motive but it seems like yeah. along the way regardless maybe they stumbled into another message that they wanted to send or maybe this was part of their original message and and the food was just a smoke screen because there seemed to be a lot of bringing attention to the Japanese police system and the inadequacies therein. And maybe that's why they were taunting the police so much. And this kind of continues to go in line with that political end. So maybe they, they just wanted to get out, cause a ruckus and point out, look how bad our policing system is. They can't find me even when I give them clues. They can't find their own clues you know, with multiple crimes across multiple cities. You can't even, you, you found a bunch of leads you, you interviewed a bunch of people, you got nothing to show for it. And so maybe they're just like, I will be the martyr for highlighting the weaknesses in our, our system. I mean, again, it's that chaotic good angle, kind of, but I don't know. Uh, and then that just disappeared. And then they just disappeared. That's just so crazy to me. I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. just me. I just... It's so odd. I feel like they, I don't know. I can't pinpoint it, right? Like, do do they really want good in the world? Are they just trolling? Because they, they just do and move on. Right. And that's where I really keep going back to that chaotic neutral. Because obviously some of these things you could think of them as maybe maybe good. I don't know. Or, or definitely bad. Definitely bad on some ends. But like, are they after anything? Or are they just doing, right? Like the Joker says, right? You're just chasing cars like what is actually going on here i may maybe we're uh putting too much credence in their message maybe we're providing them with too much i don't know oomph like maybe it's not that complex maybe it's as simple as i just wanted to sow chaos whoever this person was yeah but it's wild it's wild nonetheless it just it's it's a pretty crazy thought that i mean this is something like i said you rarely see we haven't really mm -hmm. had an episode that has trolled on this level and then on top of that we haven't really seen something that's just so chaotic. Right. Uh, just unpredictable. Yeah. It's just continuously so, too. And in fact, like, after the seventh ransom note, boy cried wolf, man. Like, I'm not going to the ransom site. I'm not bringing the money. I'm sending the police there, and that's that. Maybe undercover, probably undercover. But I'm not going to be like, okay, I'll bring the ransom. 
Like <laughs> just, they're not there, man. They never were. Or maybe they were and just never picked it up. But just to close out the politics here, though, and I and, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. But some people take this um, political angle a little further and they theorize that the monster with 21 faces was actually orchestrated by the North Korean government. And that's just I just wanted to touch on that. I don't know anything beyond that. I don't know if, you know, if it's a sociopolitical uh, thing. We all know North Korea. I don't know if there's any credence to this. I don't know, you know, what their the two nations relationship was like in particular in the 80s. But that was uh, that was definitely something else that people were kind of mulling over the possibility of. Well, why snack companies? Why snack companies? Was it just to send a message? Was I, it a public test? Like, well, what? if you if you were in the seat of this person, this whatever, what company would you go through? Like, what what would be your option? Alternatively, <sighs> it's not a trick question. I'm just curious. In terms, on oh, run that question back. Like, if if you were the monster with twenty one faces, or you were orchestrating this effort, what what company would you instead go after to make uh, a message or or to send a message or whatever? Because to me, and and this isn't a trick question. I'm just curious. I think yeah. one thing about snacks is that it's so widely accessible. Everybody has snacks. Everybody's involved with snacks. And you know, I say Doritos. You know what's up. If I say like. I don't know. I, I, I don't have any other brand, just another brand from a various other industry. You might be like, I've heard of that, but like, I don't care. I don't use Samsung phones or whatever, or I don't use the iPhone. Like, what if it's like that? You know, you might go for a big company, but you might ostracize a large market share away from the fear. And that's, that's the only reason why I can think maybe outside of the personal thing, the personal theory, the employee thing that they might go for the snack company. Yeah. Like everyone loves snacks. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. But if you were if you were trying to get under the skin of a nation, what what would you go for? But I feel like they didn't quite take. I mean, granted, yes, it did reach the nation. But I don't. I don't know. It's just like, what is? So you got under the skin of the nation just to get under the skin of the nation? Like, I guess the motive is still TBD, right? I feel like we never really like ventured into that. There wasn't, you know, it always stuck with like the snacks. That's true. I mean, it did it did impact the economy and like stores and and families buying stuff. Yeah. But but outside of that and like the broader fear, yeah, it did definitely stay to snacks. And I I could definitely see where you're coming from for sure. Yeah. Um, I think for me it's just they never dip more than like a toe in that water. That's true. You know what I would say? And uh, and listen, I I need to go ahead and clear this out right now because who knows what happens in the future. It's not me, and it wasn't me, and it won't be me. But if someone were to do something like this in America, McDonald's, boom, easy, done. McDonald's, say you say the patties are made out of horse feces, and you're done. Or, or that you just poisoned a handful of burgers across the Chicago area or something. I don't know. Like, imagine that. Like, it's just one of those brands that's so... Widespread. Widely known, or or like Starbucks, Every, coffee everyone knows or something. of the Golden Arches. But it's but again, those are foods. I guess that's just like I don't yeah, know. Everyone's got to eat. Everyone's got to eat. Everyone's everyone's got a snack. But with that said, let's dive into the third and final theory that we're going to tackle today: the Tokyo Metropolitan Police. 
okay, believe that the case was likely perpetrated by various Yakuza gang members. And that kind of makes sense, right? Because like we said, we talked about the resources in play. We talked about the fact that, you know, there might've been multiple people involved. The Yakuza could have been kind of maybe the orchestrating partner. But what happened in the middle of this case was the beginning of the Yamaichi War. And that kicked off in the middle of this. That's a, another topic we could dive into another time. I encourage you to look it up if you're curious. And so there's some interesting kind of correlations there between the Yakuza and what happened in this case. But it is worth noting the one big hole in this theory is that the monster seemingly stopped as soon as someone got hurt. The money was never collected. No one was ever hurt or, or fully disappeared, right? The person at the beginning who got kidnapped was eventually eventually escaped. I don't know if they were allowed to escape yeah, or whatever. Probably at this point, the way it sounds and the way it seems. Yeah. So it's like, you know, again, this is where my kind of gut comes in and says, yeah, I, I get it. There's definitely something to this. Maybe M is that person who is working with the Yakuza and has a group of disgruntled ex-employees or perhaps another group of ex-employees went to the Yakuza and, you know, paid for this to happen. And once someone got hurt, they said, nah, we're canning this plan with you guys. We need to stop. Like, who's to say they aren't involved in some way? I mean, there there is that possibility. But why would the Yakuza get involved? Like, what, like, you, right, like where's the gain there? Are the, like, where's the money? Right. It would have to be monetary or power or, you know, and this is just me wildly extrapolating, but maybe there's behind the scenes relationships where the Yakuza have relationships with someone, some other company over here, and you have a relationship with an enemy of mine or you wronged a friend of mine. I don't know the the org chart that the Yakuza might have, but yeah. there's definitely, I don't know, man, there's a lot of play in there. You know, who, who knows what the motivations might be, but whether it's fear, control, money, it definitely seems like the Yakuza would have the resources, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's definitely a thinner theory. It's, it's definitely something that feels like a choice of convenience where you're like, well, those guys have done some bad things. It's definitely them. Yeah. Yeah. Or they have some kind of hand in it. I just don't know. Like nothing tells me what, you know, like what's in it for them. At all. Yeah. And, and this, I guess to answer that, uh, you know, outside of the money aspect, this is where people started to theorize like, okay, what, what exactly is at play? What is at stake for the Yakuza if they're involved, right? Yeah. And this is then where people then assume that they're involved, assume that it's money, and then they say, well, then I guess they were paid off in private. That the monster slash the Yakuza or whatever came to a silent agreement. Perhaps that's why Izaki didn't want to speak about what happened in more detail about their experience when they were kidnapped because maybe their family would come under some sort of threat. It's really hard. With with so little information, we can draw all sorts of red webs, right? All sorts of mm -hmm. conclusions. And that's, again, seems to be the core ingredient to, to all these mysteries. It's just misinformation or the just pure lack of information. It's always frustrating. <sighs> yeah. All these conspiracies and, and things like that, they're, they're very fun, but there's definitely a little bit of, uh, you know what I mean? Like Right. Oh, I forgot about this point. This is okay. Th just to build off of what mm -hmm. we were talking about with, with the Glico president, right? Seichi Tagawa, who was a politician in Japan, told a newspaper and said this about the president. He said, 
right from the beginning, we haven't been getting much help from the Glico president. So this is again, another instance where the Glico president who was directly involved, at least at the beginning, is not giving details, is not helping the situation. And then it makes you wonder, is that guy involved? Is that how he was able to escape? How people weren't hurt? How they were able to get into their house so easily? Yes, it's scary, but I don't know, man. That really starts to raise some questions. Yeah. Are, are they bitter about their own company? Like, I was the president. You ousted me from my own board. Again, I, I don't know those pieces. I don't know the, the history of the company and if they left on their own volition yeah. or what have you. I but mean, at that point, someone that seems like someone with money, then, okay, that's, you know, the Yakuza can get involved because they're being paid yeah. to get involved. I, I definitely think it's money and or fear, whatever it is. I, it's just how the puzzle pieces come together to facilitate that, we may never know. But... This this is the end of uh, the monster with 21 faces. Another fascinating, deeply fascinating, but also deeply disturbing mystery. 40 years later, still no leads for this unprecedented yeah. crime. I don't think I don't think there ever will be. Yeah, man. And there's no cryptic codes, nothing else to go after, you know. And eventually, if anything does come of this where we find who it is, they'll probably have passed away within the 10 years leading up to that moment. So it seems like anytime we we seem to get a little further along, the main person that we're after has met their end. Yeah, getting older, old mm -hmm. age. But that's what we got. 21, 21 faces, man. This is a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> what a, a troll or a bunch of trolls. I don't know, man. It just leaves me disturbed and confused. But also, like, this would make a, an amazing film in a very morbid way. Like, I, agree. I, I don't know, man. This, this is wild. But we would love to hear your thoughts. If, uh, if you have any of your own theories, there are many theories about the monster with 21 faces. It would be impossible to cover them all. But these are the major ones. Like, a, like usual, we could list out a handful of smaller ones. But, but yeah, we got, we got a lot under our belt. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can either hit us up on roosterteeth.com where we upload these podcasts with a comment section. You can also find our podcast wherever you listen to them, obviously. But thank you all so much for continuing to share this with a friend. Uh, it really is the number one way to help us grow and surface this podcast. Helps us a lot. And if you leave us a review on Apple, iTunes, we really appreciate that as well. But other than that, we will see you all next week on Monday for another mystery. Mystery.